Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Hello and welcome back to Lost in Science for our second episode of 2024. It's great to be back. My name is Claire and once again you are tuned into Lost in Science. We are 30 minutes um, of, you know, the most, the newest, the most prescient, the, um, you know, futuristic (laughs) science that you can poke a stick at and with me to discuss this science this week we have chris and Stu. hello 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 now i say futuristic but um i don't know the future is now so do you have some science from now for us Stu? well uh my science is a little bit um Historical almost because I'm looking back at a substance that used to get used a lot and uh-huh. is is no longer on the list of approved substances to use for just about anything anymore. I'm talking uh, a little bit about asbestos. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, asbestos. I mean, it is. It's it's um, it's a very dirty word. It's a very dirty substance, and some uh, very dirty companies um, did some awful, awful things with it. I mean, people have been using it for all sorts of things for a really, really long time. But in in well, there's there's quite a large number of countries where you can't use it for just about anything. There are still some approved. Uh, applications but um one of the reasons i it, it it popped up in my in my uh radar was that they have found um asbestos in some parks in sydney and it's not it's not from old buildings it's it's sitting around in the mulch in the park oh right so i i just thought uh you know a lot of you know older people would probably have a fairly good understanding of what asbestos is, but I thought maybe mm, I would mm. just just go into what is asbestos and why did people use it for things and maybe even mm. how, and how did it end up in the park in Sydney as well? Yeah, bit of a refresher on that one, mm. um, and some um, pretty worrying news about that mulch. Uh, Chris, um, are you are you taking us down the garden path? With the mulch also, or...? Uh, I'm just going to stay on the back... What have you got for us? Yeah, I'm going to stay on the back porch, if that's okay with you. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, I've got a story that... Uh, look, this actually got a bit of press last year at some stage, but when the the paper was uploaded to the bio-archive repository... I'll talk about that a bit later. But anyway, um, it's finally been published in Nature Communications. It's a new study that purports to show exactly why insects um, buzz around lights. Oh, it is on the back porch then. It is on the back we porch. We are on the, the back, back porch. porch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're turning on the light. We're on the back porch. It's summertime. It is. And there um, they all are. 
Is is the answer that they buzz around the lights on the back porch because nobody burns candles? And is that is that the reason? Quite possibly, unless they're burning a citronella candle. But you know, that's that's a different kind of whole question going on there. No, it's look. This is one of those those things that people have talked about and theorised about a lot and made jokes about. I'm sure, even though I can't think of any really good jokes about it at the moment. Yep. Anyway, so um, I'm going to look at what this research says and how we might finally have an answer to this age-old conundrum. It's, yeah, it's it's good to know. Well, I'm really glad that we're kicking off 2024 with some of, um, well, th- I mean, that is definitely something that's been playing on my mind for a lot of years. So I'm glad we are tackling that one. Um, Chris, thank you very much. Um, all right, on with the show. Some of our Sydney listeners might be a bit worried about uh, if they've been paying attention to the news. Um, And there's been uh, reports recently that traces of asbestos have been found in mulch used in parks around the city. So, you know, they use mulch for lots of different reasons in in like landscape maintenance and things like that. And and, um, apparently some park users found actual lumps of asbestos in the wood chip mulch and reported it and the council have have tested it and found yeah it is actually asbestos so i don't know why they were i don't know it, was, it must have been someone pretty cluey to figure out what they were looking at now older listeners are probably somewhat aware of what that means and why it would worry some people i mean probably would worry most people if they know what they were talking about um, but i thought i'd have a sort of um uh, a look at the substance. So, do you remember we used to do a, a segment called Molecule in a Minute? Oh yeah. Um, it'd be it'd be something along those lines. But this substance is is uh, you know it's it was a very commonly used substance, and I thought I would look into it and explain a little bit about it. So, first of all, asbestos itself is a naturally occurring group of minerals, um, which have actually been known and described since antiquity. The ancient Greeks, apparently, uh, and and more recently than them as well, used to use it for making candle wicks that didn't wow. burn. So the wick, ah. you could set the wick alight and the wick wouldn't burn, but it would use up oil or something else that was being wicked up through the oh, wick. That's clever. And that, yeah. so, so, so that's one of asbestos's sort of main characteristics is that it's fire retardant it doesn't doesn't burn it's fire resistant it it, the Mm. the the name basically comes from a greek word which means inextinguishable Um, Ah. which which is a bit backwards because it's not that you can't put it out it's that you can't actually get it to light yeah i remember first coming across asbestos as a kid um in old fantastic four comics where the human torch had to have everything made out of asbestos uh, otherwise, yeah. he'd set fire to it all. So that's why I thought, oh, asbestos sounds like this amazing material. Asbestos undies, the whole yeah, bit. Yeah, that's right. Um, 
Now, what, what that means, they used to make candle wicks that didn't burn. It shows that the substance does not burn, and that's not all that surprising. It's a silicate mineral, which, uh, you know, it's, it's also sort of similar in a lot of ways to uh, glass, which is another sort of silicate mineral. Um, so you can melt it, but it doesn't actually burn. It doesn't catch light because it doesn't oxidize. So that's basically what it's doing. Now, the unburnable properties of asbestos led it to be widely used in places where people didn't want things to catch a light. And it was used for those purposes right into the late 20th century. So, you know, after thousands of years of using asbestos for fireproof applications, it became an industrial product in the industrial 20th century. And this that pretty much ended with its use being banned in more than 60 countries by the sort of turn of the last century. Although it is still being manufactured in developing countries and um, it's a it's actually a major export for Russia as well. It's still mining and processing a lot of asbestos. So the question, I guess, is what went wrong for asbestos? Basically, nothing changed about the material itself. It's still the same material that that the you know that Pliny the Elder was describing way back in the in the ancient times. Um, but its structure, the chemical nature of the of the substance, makes it immune to to flames, but the physical structure is the problem with asbestos. So asbestos is made up of tiny little crystal fibers, um, which also then break down into microscopic fibrils, which are even smaller little fibrous pieces. Uh, And those little fibers meant that you could incorporate it into fabric and things like that. So you could make fireproof fabric. Um, There's even stories from the ancient world of fireproof tablecloths and, you know, people would show off by throwing their napkins in the fire and it would burn all the food off them and they could pull the napkin out and it was undamaged. It was sort of a... But the problem with the fibres is that the fibres can cause serious damage to human lungs because they're basically little tiny shards of silicate. So if you think about inhaling little tiny shards of fibers of almost glassy materials not pretty not going to be having a great impact on your lungs so breathing in particles of anything is not good for you but breathing in tiny shards of silicate um, leads to asbestosis which is a scarring of the lung tissue basically uh, destroys your lungs by cutting it up basically Um, And also with asbestos can lead to uh, a particular cancer called mesothelioma, which is the, it's a cancer of the lining of of parts of the body, particularly the lungs, um, and something like 80% plus of cases of mesothelioma are caused by exposure to asbestos. So we can avoid lots of people getting mesothelioma by avoiding exposure to asbestos. And there was a huge court case in Australia uh, against a miner and manufacturer of asbestos, which went on for years. Um, a lot of the the um, plaintiffs died before the judgment came down and all that sort of thing. But one of the outcomes of that court case um, was basically that you can't use it anymore. There's a, there's a ban on using asbestos in buildings and using it in just about every application that it has been used for. There is still, as I said, 
there are some applications where you can use it, but there's very strict regulations about how it's used and how it's disposed of and how it's handled and all those sorts of things because it is quite a dangerous substance. So as I said, they are fibres and it's when the fibres get disturbed that it causes the most threat to human health. And they're two commonly found forms of asbestos still around because we were using it for centuries. There's lots of stuff got made that included asbestos, so it is still around. But the two commonly found forms of asbestos are called friable and bonded asbestos. So friable doesn't mean you can fry it because, you know, you could fry it as long as you want, it still wouldn't burn. Um, friable means in the same way that when you're talking about soil, people talk about friable soil, just means that it's crumbly and you can break it apart, break it apart with your hands, which if you think about when the fibres are disturbed, something with asbestos in it that you can break apart with your hands is probably the worst kind of asbestos that you can come in contact with. Um, it releases those tiny fibrils, which are the dangerous you know, component. Now, the bonded asbestos is usually combined with something else, like often cement. They used to make cement sheets with asbestos in them that was a kind of fireproofing, and that would be one of the reasons it was used, because you could build walls and things that wouldn't burn. Um, but that bonded asbestos is, is a lot less dangerous because it's it's bound together. It doesn't fall apart very easily. But if you cut it with power tools or you damage it or you break it up, you know, mechanically, it is it is still going to release those little fibrils. So both uh, both forms are dangerous, but the friable form is is much more dangerous just because of how easily damaged it is. Mm. Now the concern the concern for Sydney is that both forms were found in. Oh wow. In the parks, they've found some places had the had friable asbestos in the mulch, and some places had bonded chunks of bonded asbestos in the mulch. I have to ask, how did it get there? They're investigating, um, but as far you know, the, if you if you think about the production of wood chips, which is pretty much just mulched up tree parts so you get you know arborists and and tree crews in the council throw all their stuff through a chipper turns it into wood chips that sits around and you use it as mulch on the garden bed and that sort of thing and and i think the the simplest explanation is likely to be that someone accidentally chucked something with asbestos in it through the chipper and it got mixed in with the mulch i can't i can't imagine a reason why someone would deliberately do it but those are heavy-duty industrial mulches. They could, you know, they can easily go through, you know, um, building construction timber and things like that, which is not what you'd usually put through them. But they could easily chop that stuff up. So they could easily chop up any asbestos material that was fed into them. It's just that doing it at the same time while you're doing something else, it, it seems like a pretty dangerous way to dispose of it anyway. Um so obviously they're, they're using the mulch in the parks as a covering for, uh, you know, you use wood chips for, you know, conserves water in the soil, breaks down and, you know, increases the organic matter levels, which makes the soil hold more water and hold more nutrients and all of these other useful reasons. It is also used for covering high traffic areas where you can't get grass or other ground covers to grow which is a real problem because that means that's what they use, as we all know, around play equipment. 
Oh, so gosh. the mulch that might be put around the play equipment, uh, you know, is where the kids are going to be playing. And this is kind of, you know, I'm not sure exactly the locations of where they found these things, but they've cordoned off the areas apparently where they have found it. Now, how it exactly got in, they're looking into the supply chains and all that sort of thing. Uh, like I said, the industrial chippers could chop up just about anything um, and uh, smash up other materials into small sizes. So it might just be accidental contamination, um, and that's that's likely to be the outcome. But I hope the City of Sydney are investigating to figure it out. I'm sure they're doing as best as they can. I think we're lost. We're not lost. Not even any short-range radio signals yet? Except for a single, very powerful radio emission. Of course, a transmitter of that sort isn't exactly standard equipment. The science and technology must be absolutely mind-boggling. Of course, that's uh, it's mostly on the theoretical side. What's so far? Across Australia on the Community Radio Network, you're listening to Lost in Science. Hello, yes, you're listening to Lost in Science. My name is Chris. And yeah, as I said in the introduction there, I'm looking at the age-old question, which sure many of us have wondered about, which is why insects like to buzz around lights. I mean, it's, it is one of those questions, isn't it? Because, you know, a lot of the time it's moths mm-hmm. and moths, are, you know, like to come out at night. So why are they hanging around the light? Yeah. Uh, if if they like the night time, and then why don't they fly towards the sun during the day? What's going on, Chris? Well, I think that's one of the jokes I alluded to earlier is the idea that if they're so attracted to lights, why don't they just sort of like fly to the sun or to the moon? Um, it doesn't make sense, does <laughs> yes. it? I had, no, it doesn't. I have heard a theory some years ago that... Uh, that the reason moths go round and round and round lights is because they use the moon to navigate. So they're trying to keep the moon on one side of themselves and that way they know they're flying in a more or less straight line. And the reason they fly round and round and round is because the light is very small and they can fly round it in a complete circle. But the moon's not always out, so it doesn't make a lot of sense because there's always moths and they're always attracted to the to the light bulbs so i don't think that really covers it look um you may be getting along the right track there Stu. do you have any, any other thoughts there claire do you want to you want to throw in no no i have more questions but not a lot of um thoughts <laughs> okay i did look i did so please i did try and see what the previous theories were and i found uh, a pest control uh, company that had some <laughs> had some theories, including the one that you just said. They also said that maybe the insects use the light for safety. Um, you know, they like to hang around because they think it's safe, like keeping the, keeping that the light. Make, that doesn't make any sense. No, it, that doesn't no. make any sense. The, the, no. bat, the insectivorous bats that eat insects are like, oh no, we're not going near the light. That's I don't go. Oh no, 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 no. That's, that's right, dangerous. That's right. Also, I'm pretty sure that's normally closer to humans who are mm. quite good at killing yeah, yeah. them as well. Okay, so look, yeah, yeah. There, is, um, there is an experiment that has been done. Now, as I said, this was published last year or uploaded last year to the BioArchive preprint server, but has now been um, published in the journal Nature Communications. It's, um, it's gone through peer review, everything like that. It's kind of an interesting thing. I just sort of observed that 
that um, this is a model that we've had in physics for a while of, you know, a paper when it's written will be uploaded to this freely available service, but uh, sometime after that will be accepted by a journal, hopefully, and published. And as I said, going through the peer review process, that sort of thing. But it's available to the community before, long before it's published. And it's this kind of thing now that the, the research has been out there for nearly a year, but then they kind of hold off, oh, it's not official yet. But then some people report on it because it is out there in public and there's been news articles and that sort of thing. But, you know, do you wait until it's officially published or do you jump on it? I think, look, we saw this a lot during the COVID pandemic when you had a lot of stuff being uploaded to these preprint servers. And a lot of it was rubbish, let's be honest. Um, and so yeah. you kind of did pay either to um, to wait for the, the proper publication or to rely on kind of the kind of sort of open peer review or wait to hear what other researchers have to say about the work or have someone who's got expertise to read it rather than just believing everything you read on these servers. Look, it's an interesting conundrum, I think. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that that's it's great in a way because it lets other researchers know what's going on but it's not it's not how the system is supposed to work um you you are supposed to go through peer review and that's the whole point in publishing articles at all is to get that peer review and go through the whole process and that sort of checks and balances on the quality and all that you know all that stuff um but yeah i i can see why people want to get their work out there but it's also not a guarantee of quality yeah yeah Look, fortunately, this one does seem, like I said, to have passed the peer review. And um, it also seems to have been, in a, for a question that people have wondered about, not a highly researched area. So what they did, this, um, this paper was published by uh, Samuel Fabian from University of College London, who is a postdoctoral student in, postdoctoral researcher, sorry, uh, in bioengineering, as well as some colleagues in Florida that he worked with. And they took the seemingly obvious step of essentially videotaping insects flying around a light um, using high-speed cameras to see what they were doing. And look, the answer actually is uh, very similar to the kind of what you were saying, Stu, um, but it's not quite, they're not like keeping the moon to the right or anything like that, you know, straight on till morning, that sort of thing. Um, instead, they seem to have what they called its dorsal light response. So they were pointing their backs towards the light. Ah. Right. So insects... Well, so wouldn't... Okay. Insects are very small flying animals generally i mean there's some bigger ones generally yeah. yeah yeah especially in summer yeah that's right and the the ones that you know impact my head and you know <laughs> well <laughs> i'm walk well, i'm under like what walk into it ah, what's that giant moth doing anyway sorry go yeah on, so they're very small they're very light they they're buffered around the air you know in a turbulent kind of wind flow that sort of thing um it's hard for an insect to know which way is up, essentially, is the problem. You know, they they don't have, you know, big heavy creatures like us have a very, that that's, don't move around a lot. We have a good sense of balance. We have a vestibular system. We know which way is up and which way is down. But you know, like even our airplanes need an artificial horizon sort of thing. We need some sort of instruments to tell us which way is up and which way is down. So, um, yeah, insects don't 
have the luxury of relying on a system like our inner ears. So what it seems most likely is they're using light to orient themselves in that the sky is generally lighter than the ground. So you keep the sky above you, the light above you and the dark below you. So what they found is that the insects, if they were coming from the side of the light, they'd have their back to it and they would circle round and round like that. Um, if they came from underneath, they would basically, you know, again, go under the light and, and flip around. Sometimes they would fly over the top of the light and they would actually flip upside down um, and then frequently crash wow. as a result. Like I so, said, yeah, the ones from flying underneath, that's right. They, they would fly underneath, they would go up and they would stall. Um, with the ones flying over the top, they would kind of spin upside down and then they would crash. Um, advanced wow. advanced avionics for insects. Essentially, yeah. Cool. yeah. Wow. But I've, I've seen them do that. They do. They sort of fly up they above do, the light yeah. and then they go, oh, and they freak out and hit the wall or hit something else. Yeah, that's right. Which way's up. Yeah. So, so they are, you know, as the intuition suggests, they are using the light to, to navigate, but not in kind of a particular direction, just in terms of their their vertical sense, their up and down, um, which is no surprise. So, they get so, so confused. we're sort of so we're sort of giving them vertigo every time we turn on a light. Yeah, essentially, essentially, they get really confused. Um, oh, so I feel terrible. It is something to think about. Yeah, the the torment you're putting those poor little poor little insects through. <laughs> um, it's also to me maybe there's some application for this. Like, I think about. It, I often try to like if there's like an annoying flying insect in the house i'll be switching lights on and off in different rooms and trying to lure it uh you know into somewhere else where that i am not but maybe this give me a better way to think about how it works i've definitely done that yeah um yeah got you know especially you know the big buzzy flies yeah that's right in the house at night and you turn all the lights off move to the next room turn the light on wait till you hear it close the door turn that light yeah 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 Yeah, i definitely do that yeah yeah. So anyway, that's something to think about. Um, yeah, as you're in as you're in summer, maybe what's going on with the the poor little insects, and maybe you can find a way to make their lives a bit easier, or maybe you find a way to make your life a bit easier. I don't know. Apply it how you will. But uh, it seems we have finally, perhaps, solved this age-old question. Um, the big questions being solved here on Lost in Science. all we have time for on another episode of lost in science lost in science is recorded on the lands of the kulin nations and broadcast across australia on the community radio network with the kind support of the community broadcasting foundation if you'd like to get in contact with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at lostinsight@gmail.com. You can find us on X, formerly known as Twitter, or Facebook. 
or just tune in wherever you find your podcasts or listen to us when Claire, Chris, Stu and Catriona get lost in science. Thanks for listening to a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online.